All right. Um, you know, why don't you open up your Bibles, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna get into the Word together. I want to, um, as we do that, I want to just also encourage you with Alpha. We're gonna be in the next couple weeks here blitzing social media with a bunch of different stuff as a church. Uh, Alpha has some really great tools to share about the Alpha course. And so I want to encourage you that, you know, share this on your social media platforms. Get the word out to your friends. Um, th- there's a variety of ways that we can do this, but we really know and we believe that Alpha is just an incredible tool. It is, it is an absolutely astounding course to introduce people to the gospel and to who Jesus is. And I'm, I'm so, so looking forward to, uh, to doing that. But we need your help. This is not just on the leadership. This is not just on me. This is on you to, to share, to talk to people, to pray about who God is calling you to invite. And, and I want to encourage you to do that. And be bold. Be courageous. Right? As the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid. All right. Enough of that um, promotional stuff. We're in the series Presence, Formation, Witness. Thank you. We, uh, we're getting into uh, talking this morning about community. And, you know, it's, it's so interesting that living in the digital age, which we are, and, and yet all the stuff that's going on with that, loneliness, by all measures, in the world has skyrocketed with people. And we have, you know, just think about the amount of things we have right now when it comes to digital platforms like Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, email, text, WhatsApp, not the WhatsApp app, but maybe that's another app, etc. Like we have, we are just inundated with social media platforms and we're obsessed with this constant pursuit of connectivity. Like I feel it in myself, like we're just, we're obsessed with always being connected now, like way more than we ever used to be. But the thing is, this connectivity is not the same as community. People actually feel more alone and more isolated than ever. And we're, and we're seeing that right now in the midst of what we're in, that people are feeling this. Sherry Turkle, she's the author of this book, Alone Together. And she says this, We are lonely but fearful of intimacy. Digital connections may offer the illusion of companionship without the demands of friendship. Our networked life allows us to hide from each other even as we are tethered to each other. We would rather text than talk. When technology engineers intimacy, relationships can be reduced to mere connections and then easily connection becomes redefined as intimacy. Put otherwise, cyber intimacies slide into cyber solitudes. The startling truth is that community is as elusive as ever, despite all of this technology that we have all around us. And I believe, and I think that there's many believe and are expectant that the church, though, has the ability to be very countercultural in the midst of all this. This is when the church can shine because of what it means to be in community. And you'll, you'll see this throughout some of the alpha promo videos that we're showing is that people, when they come into contact with the church, when they come into contact with the community in the church, they go, wow, like I never knew that this existed. And this is what I want. This is what I need. So we're going we're gonna to take 
uh, the next couple of weeks to look on, uh, to focus on community and to look at this as it relates to our formation in Christ. And so this morning we're going to talk about intentional community and formation and, and looking at how th- there's this necessity for us to be connected and woven into the local church. We're going to look at why community is important. We're going to look at the, t- and we're going to talk about the tension and the struggle of community because it is not easy. And then next week, part two, we're going to look at understanding life together as God's people, what that calls us to, and how does community form and shape us to be more like Jesus? Like, how does that actually happen in the midst of what we're doing? And it's not lost on me that this might feel a little bit odd, given what we're in, that we're talking about community. Right, like, like we, we're in this situation where we're going to a new level tomorrow. You know, we're, we're in this period of social distancing and separation from one another is encouraged and it's even mandated now on certain levels. But given the importance of the local church to this thing of formation in Christ, I think in these days we need to consider this more than ever. Bartley Kivas, he had an article locally here Uh, for CBC, I think it was two days ago, and he was saying in there, he's talking about this new thing we're entering into in the fall, and okay, and and I don't encourage you to believe everything the media writes, and this was actually an opinion piece, but he says there, he talks about how maybe we're gonna be four years before an actual vaccine is widely available. Now that's an opinion, and, but I, it got me thinking like, whoa, like, think about that. We, we have to, change our behavior we've been told that we have to change our behavior right like there's this thing of loss of freedom there's new protocols there's new restrictions there's all these things around us that whether or not you are totally okay or believe in it some of these things are there regardless and i I think that in these days we have to wrestle with do not to treat the church like everything else the church is not like everything else God clearly talks of that. Its place in your life is significant, extremely significant. And because what we do in these days is doing something to us. And so, you know, I was thinking about this article, this four years until a vaccine might be widely available. And, and the whole thing about whether or not people even take, take a vaccine is a whole nother discussion. I'm not getting into that, right? But there, there's a lot of different feelings about that. Am I willing to put my life with the body of Christ on hold for four years? And my answer to that would be, no way. Like, no. Our habits and our practices are forming us. And so we've got to wrestle with this tension of how we feel about this virus. And and there is a lot of tension to wrestle with with this. Concerning how the media and culture is seeking to form us. The effects that fear and isolation will have on us. What, what is that doing to us? What, what voices are we listening to right now in our lives? How do we remain faithful to scripture? And what it says about community and flourishing in Christ. We were made for relationship with one another. So what do we do with all of that in the midst of what we are living through? So that's where we're going. So I want to talk first of how we are made for community. And I want to read 
something out of Acts 4, the early church. It says there in Acts 4.32, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Do you see some of the connections there of being in community, being in relationship, pursuing being of one heart and one soul, and there was great power, the great power of the Lord was on them, and there was grace given, the great, great grace was upon them all. It's an incredible picture of what God was doing in his church. And it wasn't perfect either. Amidst all the power, amidst all the wonderful things going on in the early church, the very next chapter, you've got Ananias and Sapphira. So that wasn't so good. There was stuff going on in the early church too. But we see from the very beginning, after Jesus' ascension, is that his followers saw this need. We need and we want to be together. There was desire for community. And we see this throughout the New Testament, that community is non-optional for discipleship to Jesus. That we are called to life-on-life discipleship. Jesus had disciples. He didn't have a disciple. Meaning, it was never just alone. You never see Jesus just alone with one person. It was always he was gathering them together. Jesus, in fact, had hundreds of disciples that followed him. And then he had the twelve that were with him more closely. And then he even, uh, with that, he had the inner three, right? James and John and Peter. The point of that is, don't, don't buy into the cultural lie that you can follow Jesus alone. That, that's, that's a very new invention in the church. Like the last 40, 50 years has sort of seen the increase of this belief, like it's just me and Jesus, I'm doing this thing. I don't need the church. I can do this on my own. That is, that is a very new invention in, the, in, the, in history. And it's, it's got a very short lifespan. But this view, it does permeate the Western church now. We view so much of our faith as a personal journey. We've, we've got to guard against this in the church, all, where we always, we talk about faith on a very personal level all the time. It is that, but it's not just that. This is the spiritual disciplines and, and the habits that we've been talking about as well. Those aren't just an individual exercise, actually. Reading the word, worship, prayer, fasting. Until very recently, the church, throughout all of history, saw this, the spiritual disciplines, as something that we do together. I was, I was able to sit in on the orientation that Gene had with their college students this year. And, and he was kind of outlaying some of their vision and values for the year for the school. And they have this time where they meet together every week for uh, being in the word together for personal devotions. They don't just do it alone. And he said it's because we value being together in community, even in our devotional time. And I thought, man, that's like that's so biblical. How do we remain faithful to all of this amidst where what we are experiencing right now? That that's that's the question that we have to ask ourselves. What what level of importance do we place on our involvement in the local church. Because you can't separate your discipleship to Jesus from involvement in the church. Don't believe that lie. 
The two go together. The two most dominant metaphors put forth in the New Testament, throughout all the New Testament, of what it means to be the people of God. Number one is to be an apprentice of Jesus. Two is this metaphor of brothers and sisters and the family of God. We'll talk about that more a little bit later yet, but we've, we've largely formed our view of church out of this prevailing mindset that we have all around us of consumerism. Like we, we are immersed with a mindset, a philosophy of consumerism in our culture. It's been bred into us for, for generations already, and we approach church in this way. And, and to, be, to recognize that and to go, okay, how is this shaping and forming me is really, really valuable. Because we, we look at church, most of us will always, will, we will have the temptation to look at church on the view of what I want, how I want it, when I want it, etc. That's consumerism. So what, what should shape our approach to the local body? The trends of culture or the eternal words of God? And, and you know, I'm, I am incredibly thankful for technology right now and what technology is enabling us to do. Uh, the, the provision of this, the, the expertise that we uh, have been given by the Lord to connect virtually, like, like all of it, I've, I've been so thankful that since we've gotten into this, you know, six months where we've been in, that we actually can connect virtually. Like that's so, that's so great. It's a wonderful tool, but it also has the ability, and here's the danger, to foster an isolated spirituality that can lead us into apathy and complacency. So big picture, big picture, and we've talked about this as a leadership. We see streaming as a wonderful tool for the church to reach the outside, to reach those who don't know Christ, to reach those who desperately need Jesus. We see this as an incredible tool, but we don't want it to lead us into a consumer mentality in here as the church. I was, I was having a conversation with a family member during our trip, who shall remain nameless, and we were, they were, we were enjoying the comfort of church at home. They were talking about this. And they said, they were talking about how they love to, Sunday mornings and now they can get up and they can pick and choose what they're going to watch. And then they said this statement, if I don't like what the pastor says, I can just turn him off. I was like, wow. <laughs> some of you might have done that. I expect some of you have done that. Because there's going to be things I say, you're like, I don't like that. And if you're at home, you can go, guess what? Paul doesn't know right now what I'm doing. I'm done with him. <laughs> it's kind of like, I was like, there's a part that, yeah, you know, we laugh and go, oh, man. There's another part of that you go, that's crazy incredibly dangerous for our formation into Christ. That is an incredibly dangerous thing that technology has given us. Because as much as the Lord desires to use this time to form and to grow us, and I believe he really is wanting to use this specific time to make us more like Jesus, we have an enemy who is also intent on using this situation to form us into something very different. So, church is not an event. Church is not a duty. Church is not even a responsibility. It's not. Church is meant to be the means by which we grow and we partake of the life of God together. When, when we see the local body as part of the very fabric 
by which we grow to be more like Jesus rather than just something along the lines of like religious observance or something like that, that, that view fundamentally shifts how we approach our involvement and commitment to our church family. We want to be together because God is doing something here. So this year, our vacation, this was the first time for a long time that we actually weren't able to go to different churches on Sundays. I was like, I was bummed about that. I was like, I, I like to go to different churches and experience different churches. So the first Sunday, we actually had home church with Gene and Marla, which was actually really cool. Just in the living room, a guitar, and just encouraging one another. Second Sunday, then we, we had virtual church. And I was like, huh. Like, I watched. I watched us. I watched LCF. In fact... Someone else, another family member who shall remain nameless, said, hey, why don't you come? Like, there's all these great church services on. I'm like, no, I got one right here. I'm enjoying my church family, enjoying what God is speaking here. Third Sunday then, we were gone. We had a family wedding the night, the day before. And so we were going to be leaving Vancouver that morning. And last minute, we ended up having uh, breakfast with Jess's uncle and aunt. And so we went out all together as a group and had breakfast. It was so good. And so I, like, I got up that morning, Sunday, and I'm like, I've got no church commitments. I've got no responsibilities. Like I'm waking up in a hotel and I'm like, I don't have to do anything. And I'm going out for breakfast. And I was like, uh, there was the thought that crossed my mind where I can see where people go, this is what Sundays are made for. Like Sunday is now seen as me day or family day, right? Brunch, hiking, biking, relaxing, pleasure, self-care, being out in nature, enjoying it, all of it. That's a lot of how we look at it now. The Barna Group, they did a discipleship survey, and they, they um, 38% of the respondents, by far the largest percentage on this question, when they were asked what their preferred message, method of discipleship in the church was, they said, just me and Jesus. 38%, by far the highest percentage. And so, yes, being present in the local church together is swimming against the tide of culture. Make no doubt about it, but it is the way of Jesus. Ronald Roheiser says this, part of the very essence of being a follower of Jesus is being together in a concrete community with all the real human faults and tensions it brings. A Christian spirituality is always as much about dealing with with each other as each another as dealing with God. We are made for community. We're also transformed within the context of community. Let's read a few verses here in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 verses 19 to 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Aren't those like amazing words? You are being built into a dwelling place for God himself by the Spirit. Like, that's the church. That's, that's us. That's right here 
That's Landmark Christian Fellowship. It's amazing. So this passage speaks of us growing together, being built together into a place, right, where God's, God will dwell with us. Peter also uses similar metaphors to talk about this, our growth in Christ. So contrary to Western culture, we do not grow in Jesus and into Jesus in isolation from the church. We're going we're to look on next week, uh, later on in Ephesians, where um, there's these various images used to speak of us growing into the fullness of Jesus, that our lives are more and more filled with his life, that we're growing up into him. And all this is clearly, clearly within the context of life together in the church. Intentional relationships around the way of Jesus. And you know, this is the thing. When we commit intentionally to this, to this growing together and being with one another in these relationships, we experience two things. And it's guaranteed we will experience these things in the church. Exposure and encouragement. In his Emotionally Healthy Spirituality um, books, Pete Scazzaro, he, he quite a bit he touches on this thing of our shadow side, which um, he defines as this, our accumulation of untamed emotions, less than pure motives and thoughts that will largely unconscious, strongly influence and shape your behavior. It is the damaged but mostly hidden version of who you are. Now here's the thing. We all have a shadow side. Every single person here has a shadow side. I do, you do, we all do. And we're largely blind to this until we step into community. You know, when, when Jess and I, when we stepped into the culture of LCF just over eight years ago, and, and it was, we were stepping into a new culture that we probably thought we knew better than we did. We didn't know it very well. Um, and people thought that they knew who Jess and I were. Like there was, there would have been an image of this is who this pastoral couple is. This is what they're about. We've kind of gotten to know them a little bit. And then you get into relationship and you get into the muck of it and you're in the thick of it. And guess what? We've all got shadow sides and it's all coming out as we are immersed in community together. Now, one of the tendencies that I've come to understand about myself is that I always feel the need to have to be understood. Like, I want to be understood. I want you to understand me. Probably why I talk a lot, right? But the need, I have this need to explain myself when I admit sin and when I, when I walk in repentance. Like, I got to explain myself. And I'm okay with that. People aren't as okay with that at times, Right? And now I've come to understand that this is actually a common trait of males who, if you're into the Enneagram, if you're a one on the Enneagram, this is a common trait of guys. I supposedly, men on, that are a one on the Enneagram make up 1% of men. I was like, wow, I, like, we're like a rare bird. But it's true, like when I think about it, and I don't like this, but I always feel the need to explain myself, always. So exposure, when that comes up, is hard and it's difficult. Our, our dysfunctional tendencies, way, the ways that we relate that are dysfunctional, and, and we all, when this comes up, all of us have the temptation in community. We are either going to fight, we're going to flee, or we're going to hide. 
one of those three things. But we also, we also receive encouragement that leads to healing in our lives in the body. And that's just as important as exposure. In, in his book, The Emotionally Healthy Church, uh, Pete Scazzaro, and again, like if you haven't read any of the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality stuff, read it. It's so good. But he says this. He speaks that in that book about developing in the church a theology of weakness in our midst, in our churches. Meaning, what he means by that is being real about who we are, being real about where we're at, being real about what we're struggling with. And, and this is a, here's the thing. In the church, the sad reality is that this is largely absent. Because we are far more into posturing. We're far more into image management. We're far more into defensiveness. We're far more into self-preservation. And the list goes on and on and on. That's what we are about as people. And we have to always fight against that stuff in ourselves. But the ministry of reconciliation and, the, and healing is a promise for the church. That we are called to minister to one another. We receive the ministry of Jesus from others. We receive the love of the Father from others. We receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit through others. But, but in order to receive any of that, we have to open ourselves up to relationships. You have to open yourself up to being present together. And, and, and it's so interesting because at a psychological, neurological level, the only way to get healing from relational wounds is actually in relationship. That's the only way they've found that a person will actually receive healing is actually being in relationship. So that those who vow, and I have done this, and maybe you have, you've made the vow, I'm never going to get close again because I don't want to get hurt. When we do that, we stay broken. And it's in the crucible, it's in the severe testing of relationship that the Holy Spirit transforms and grows us actually to become more like Jesus. It's within this context of community together. We see more of ourselves, our deep need for the work of Jesus in our lives. We come to realize that through our willingness to vulnerability and humility with others. Marriage is the ultimate example of this, right? Think about this. You get married, and all of a sudden you're, you're cohabiting with this person in the same house, and, and it doesn't take long, where all of a sudden they're doing things, and you're like, this is really annoying me. And you're doing things, and they're like, that's really annoying me. And before long, you're like really irritated with one another. This happens in almost every single marriage in the early days. Because all of a sudden you realize, why is this such an issue? Why does this person have such a problem with me? Like, I was fine before. Yeah, you were. You weren't living with someone else. Living with someone else exposed the stuff that was going on inside of us. Exposure. And then you have to learn how to grow and change together. Right? You have to be willing to, to yield yourself to that. But we're made for community. We're transformed within this context of community as we are committed to community. I want to read these verses from Hebrews 10 and maybe like, oh, I know Paul was going here. This is like, this is so to be expected. Yep, this is the word. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, 
but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I want to invite you to do a little math exercise with me this morning, if you'll indulge me in this, okay? I, I prefaced this the other night with Daryl and Diane, so they know it's coming. But I, I've encouraged people in the past who've come to LCF when they've been visitors. I, I've said to them, probably not everyone, but I, at times I've said to people, like, if you really want to get a feel for LCF, and you really want to get a feel for who we are as a, as a group of people, you've got to come for like at least six weeks. You've got to, you, that, that will really give you a taste of what we're about. Now, the reason for that is because the church is people, right? They're getting a taste for who we are because that's who the church is. Now, if someone is coming twice a month during this time that they're coming, how long will it take you to connect with those people six times? Now, that's providing that every time you see these new people, that you reach out to them. And that they are here every week, right? So they're here at, for six weeks in a row. Every time you're here, if you're coming twice, every, every second week you're here and you're connected with them, it will take you 11 to 12 weeks to, co- to actually connect with them that many times. Now, if that person, that new person coming, they miss a couple Sundays here or there. So, you know, let's say they attend six out of nine times or 10 times. How many times will, when that person is coming twice a month, connect with them during that 10 weeks? Three times. That's it. If they're intentionally connecting with them every single time. So home groups, right? Home groups, most of our home groups meet bi-weekly. So you miss one. Let's say the other person, another person in the home group misses one. That means that you've connected once with that person in six weeks. Just once in six weeks. This is my point. Community takes time. And community takes intentionality. It takes commitment. You actually have to stay quite a while to get to know people. And Hebrews 10 provides us with this clear objective. Gathering together is a priority for followers of Jesus. The church and our our home groups are to be the place where we stir one another up to love and to good works. Encouraging one another. I want to put this maybe another way for us to understand. We actually need to ritualize relationship in the church. We ritualize all sorts of things in our lives. For me, fall comes, I'm ritualizing NFL football. Like, what time is it? Yeah, we've got to wrap this up because the Niners have kickoff at 12, so I want to get home. I, I admit, I ritualize, I love watching NFL football in the fall. But there's tons of things that we make intentional commitments to. And we have to do this to pursue relationship with one another. And this kind of relationship that I'm talking about doesn't happen around a stage, but around a table. Do you get what I mean? It's not just happening around this. It's happening around other tables. Because with intentional relationship, if I get caught up in a conversation with one of you for 10 minutes after the service now, guess what? I have not connected with almost all of you. Like, you're, you guys are gone. People are gone. Or you're, like, it's so difficult to connect with people when we're in this sort of model. And we're not even big at all. So, but we still want to have a value 
for the Sunday gatherings. We still want to have a value for this because this is a core practice for following the way of Jesus. Jesus was in the synagogue every week. Jesus ritualized being with the people of God. And so we believe in a both and model for the church, that we're both here and we're in community with one another outside of here. Because what we do or do not do is forming us. And we're called as the church to be family. Okay, so I mentioned it before, I mention it now again, church is family. There might be some of you at this point, maybe even a lot of us, who actually are checking out at this point. Because you're like, yeah, I've heard that a lot. I've heard that verbiage so much in the church. But family has all sorts of baggage for many of us. And our families and our upbringing is where we've received the most powerful messages about who you are. And if that's you, I want you to know I can relate to you. Many of us can relate to one another, and we're not alone. So I want to I spend a few minutes here just to end by talking about the tension and the struggle of community. I'm, I'm, I'm blitzing you with like a lot of Pete Scazzaro this morning, but this is what he says. I haven't used him in a long time, okay? So just like don't ease up on me. <laughs> Numerous external forces may shape us, but the family we grew up in is the primary and except in rare circumstances, the most powerful system that will shape and influence who we are. Many of us have found ourselves in stories that, have, that were tainted and tarnished, impacted by sin, and this has shaped us. Shaped how we view community, shaped how we view family, shaped how we view ourselves, shaped how we view God. And community is hard for many of us. Our wounds, our family experiences have affected how we love Jesus and how we actually love other people. And community scares us actually at times because it awakens some of our deepest and greatest fears. And so this makes community genuinely very, very hard for many people. And I will say I have been there and I continue to struggle with that at times. I've got to wrestle with this myself. Eight years of community at LCF has brought a substantial amount of joy for Jess and I. It's also brought a substantial amount of pain into our lives. That's reality that we've walked through. There have been hard situations and we have been hurt deeply. Now the temptation would, to, would be to say at this point, I don't want to open myself up to that possibility again. I just don't want to do it. I'm not going to do it. It's easier and probably because of my personality, because of my background, because of my experiences, my family of origin, I wrestle with that temptation. Yes. We need to be real with one another in the church, folks. We need to be real. But this is, has been and is currently, presently, the very means by which God has come and heals and has healed wounds inside of me. He's not finished. That's, that's what we need to hear about community too. That there is still a lot of healing I, that I need in my life. And there's still healing that you need in your life. I'm not going to say it's a lot. It's a lot for me. In his book, Slow Church, Christopher Smith, he highlights this truth. He says, spiritual formation 
occurs primarily in the context of community. Long-term interpersonal relationships are the crucible of genuine progress in the Christian life. People who stay grow. People who leave do not grow. It is a simple but profound biblical reality that we both grow and thrive together or we do not grow much at all. Wow. I have seen this played out in the lives of people too many times, more times than I can count. And I want to count through the years of just being in the church from the time that I was a young kid to now. We've seen it played out in our own families, Jess and I. And it's genuinely heartbreaking to see it happen in the lives of people. So how do we respond? Because I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. I'm going to offend people. You're going to offend people. I'm going to hurt people. You're going to hurt. We're going to hurt one another. Welcome to the mess of community. How do we respond to this? We're called to be the people of God. I would start by saying that Jesus knew that this would always be part of the reality of life together in the church. Think about this. Jesus chose men to be his closest disciples who were on the very opposite ends of the political spectrum. You had Matthew, the tax collector, with the Roman government, and Simon the zealot. Do you know how those two would have gotten along? It's like a hardcore Democrat and a hardcore Republican. Come and let's have fellowship together. That is what it is. It's like crazy. When you look at the list of who Jesus brought together, it's mind-boggling what he was doing. And yet, he pushed them to pursue unity. Like, I'm like, we do not understand. You know what? We want to get into our little camps, and we want, this is what I believe, and if you disagree with me, I'm unfriending you. You're gone. Okay, bye. That's what we do. Jesus is committed to his church. I think we can say that with full confidence. To the local expression of believers gathered in his name all over the earth. And our culture, including the church, we desperately need to recover this vision. That we are called to be together. Our greatest witness to the world is our unity as the local church. Honestly, it is. I wrestle with this because it's so hard. Our greatest witness to all the surrounding communities. You know what it is? It's not even about unity and landmark. It's un- that's important. It starts here. Our unity together matters exponentially. Yeah, I, I, like, I'm blown away by how, what Jesus, how he brought people together. And, you know, when I was thinking about that this week, I was like, that's so good. Because we are going to be at very different places in the church. And we have to learn how to have unity, get along, love one another, figure this out. Yeah. Jesus provided an incredible example for us. Okay, I want to end with... um, some application this week. I want to I give you three questions to go away with. I, I wrote down, like, honestly, probably about nine or ten questions in various forms, going, how am I going to, like, uh, present this 
for application because there's just like there's so many things. So I like, I, I th these are probably not the perfect questions, I guess is what I'm saying. But hopefully they will help you this week. Number one, to grow, um, to grow my apprenticeship to Jesus. Where is God inviting me to experience deeper community in OCF? I'm making this very intentionally focused on the local body. Number two, how can I seek to be intentional to engage within the community of LCF? And three, where is my family of origin or past hurt hindering me from experiencing community in LCF? Am I seeking God about this? Listen to the Holy Spirit. I would encourage you, go to the Lord about that. Jen, I'll invite you up and let's... Uh, Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for how you love your church. Thank you for how you are so committed to our growth and our maturity and growing together. I want to thank you, Father, for your model for how we grow together. And it's so profound in the midst of this culture. And yet it's so beautiful and it's so wonderful. God, I'm thinking about that father and daughter, Lord, who encountered you through Alpha. And Lord, were profoundly, profoundly, their lives were changed forever. Lord, that's beautiful. That is a beautiful picture of what we as the church are meant to be to those around us. And God, we want to receive all that you have for us in this. Lord, we want to see the growth of your kingdom, the growth of your church for the glory of your son. Holy Spirit, would you be at work in us this week? Would you help us where? Lord, it's hard. And Lord, we're in the midst of a situation right now in the world that feels very difficult. Lord, we pray that in the midst of this, that we would experience community and that it would be forming us and shaping us into you at a very deep level. And we pray this all, Jesus, in your wonderful name.